Hey, honeys, just a little reminder that you are enough. Go out and be free. I watched the scenes and really love several times. (laughs) (laughs) I I ain't gonna lie. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying that I would have... Speak your truth. Speak your truth. I'm not saying I would have burned a hole if it had been VHS. Like, it's just, but I'm just saying, I have seen them. Child, please, child, please. If you want it, you got it, go get it. Child, please, child, please. The world is waiting for you. We're so happy that you are here with us today. Um, so what's been going on, Ivy? I'm experiencing something that Black people, I think, really, thankfully, don't usually have an experience with. And that is, I am completely sunburned, girl. <laughs> so what I love about this is that this is a, this is a, a soft flex because <laughs> it is not currently... <laughs> It is not currently hot enough when the sun isn't strong enough for you to be getting sunburned in New York. So how did this happen? Where were you? Um, so I took a little time uh, for myself and I actually went with our fabulous producer, Diane, uh, to the shout island. Shout out to of, Diane. Shout out to Di. Uh, to the island of St. Lucia. Oh, uh, I celebrate Diane's birthday. I've been to St. Lucia once with my one of my Haitian lovers. It was like, but it was like only an overnight situation because uh, it was a cruise. But St. Lucia, I've always wanted to go back. It's so beautiful. It is lush. It feels wild. It doesn't feel overrun with like Marriott signs and tourist like situations. Yeah. It just feels like, I don't know. I sunk into St. Lucia like Ooh, deep. Sunk. You know what I mean? Like did you, I it sounds like, like you found something in St. Lucia. <laughs> did you like, did you stumble upon something? <laughs> oh, I love it. Is this my retirement plan? So Am you you thought you embraced? was cute. You was like the sun's <laughs> not gonna fuck with me out here. You thought you was cute. And it was like it was sorry. it was really just like I am normally I am a sunscreen queen. I'm a person who yeah. believes that black people should understand that you can get cancer. So I usually am, you know, lathered from head to toe. But it was one of those things where, you know, the last morning that you're there and you're like, you know what, we should get up early and just go and like lay at the beach really quickly before we have to pack our stuff yeah. and get on the taxi to get back to the airport. And we were just in the rush to put on bathing suits and jump out there that I totally forgot to sunscreen. And I am paying the price because I'm basically like a butterfly emerging from a cocoon, shedding my entire. (laughs) What I love too is just like, you know, just the luxury and the treating of oneself and Black women resting and Black women relaxing and Black women being in lush spaces. And I feel like that's such a fantastic segue into what we're going to be getting into today, particularly when we think about Black women's Black women's desires and how and Black women and how they're represented on screen. Are we represented as being able to be self-indulgent? Are we represented as being able to you know, afford trips. Like, are we like just down to the more practical (laughs) shit to the like, you know, the more lofty stuff? Well, today, if you look at the headlines, if you look at television today, you know, of course, that Black women are lit. We are fire. (laughs) But while we often have like 
we know that we have those things inside us. The things in the portrayals that we see on screen, we often kind of see that with very little knowledge or understanding of our personal experience as Black people, white people seem to really be very comfortable defining and representing us in the media. Girl, comfortable. (laughs) When I tell you comfortable, like I see it in Project, in Hollywood, comfortable. And I feel like it's weird because like, The whole idea of the film industry, of the television industry, is the idea that we are creating worlds, right? We are creating worlds and inviting people into new spaces. Very few of those worlds are about Black people and certainly not about Black women. Yeah. And so if you think about Shonda, if you see Oprah's own Issa Rae, um, they make us feel like there's this whole lot of progress that's going in terms of Black images on screen, in terms of television. In 2020, we now know that nearly 10% of lead roles on TV were filled by Black actors, which is very close to proportional representation. But the real power is in the background, in that Hollywood executive. And those people are mainly white. And they're the ones who greenlight the projects. They're the ones who staff that writer's room. They're the ones who decide which stories get told. And I mean, there's also, you know, within the writer's room, there's additional politics that are happening that even if you have Black people in the room, sometimes you, you know, you have these white showrunners who bring you in as dressing, right? They're not Mm -hmm. actually interested in your opinions and in your thoughts. They're not interested in being challenged. They're not interested in new perspectives in that way. They're just like, okay, let me, I'm doing this show about this Black judge. Let me have some Black people in it, but let me not actually listen to them. And then also just the politics of hierarchy in rooms where, you know, some, depending on your level as a Black person, you may not Mm -hmm. feel comfortable you know, speaking up. And then there's just the pressure. Do I got to represent all Black people? It's a lot. Exactly. Which, you know, we see represented, of course, that same dilemma in other parts of the world. So more than than 90% of any show that you're watching today on digital, on broadcast, et cetera, they're all being led by white showrunners. They're all being led and greenlit by white executives. And what's also wild, too, is that there's a difference between a creator and a showrunner, right? So then also yeah. what you have sometimes is you have Black creators who may not be at the level to be showrunner for many reasons, including the fact that we are not necessarily always promoted in the ways that we should. So you may not have the experience of showrunning, that you may have a Black creator and not a Black showrunner. Yeah. Um, so, so what does all this mean, though, for our fullness of our representation, for the fullness of Black women's stories being told about all the facets of us, including sexuality, sensuality? But what does all this mean for us? And today, joining us on the show to talk Ooh. about this discussion of Black women's representation is Nicole Perkins, who is a writer who explores the intersections between pop culture, race, sex, and gender relationships. So right on time, Nicole, we brought you in. Her new memoir, Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be, is out now. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome, Nicole. Welcome, Nicole. Yay! I feel like we should have Hi. a theme song just for you. Child, please welcome. Child, well, I also welcome. love the name of that book because when the minute I read it, I was like, sometimes I trip on how happy we could be. Like, I love that. Yes, so, yes. I can always tell who knows, the, who knows the reference uh, when they say it because they say it in the rhythm of, <laughs> of the song. So I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> 
Well, Nicole, you and Felicia are writers, so I'm excited to actually kind of really dig into this with both of you because Felicia also has a background in writing books, but also screenplays. Like what inspired you to write? We haven't, we're talking about the fact that there's not much representation. There probably weren't that many role models for you. What really inspired you to start your writing? When I was younger, I found this book called The Black Poets, uh, edited by Dudley Randall. And it had Black poetry from old Negro spirituals um, until the Black arts movements of the 60s and 70s. And I was just like, this is history. This is our story. This is, and there were so many different shades of the stories that were being told. There were some that were just straight up love poems. And then there were some that were like, call for freedom, you know, and there were some that were just like, kill Whitey. And there were some that was just like, I love snorting Coke. You know, like it was just all kinds of stuff in there. And um, that sparked my love of poetry, which eventually, you know, continued to um, be this love of writing. And I think ultimately, I just want to be able to tell my story and have my story as a part of one of the pages of Blackness in Black history. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. I also want to uh, leave my mother my mother's mark behind, you know, because uh, she's not a writer. She's not creative in that way. Um, but she created me and helped <laughs> me yes. get me here. And so I want to honor her. Um, and so, you know, in a lot of things that I write online, and obviously I talk about her in my memoir, I want to mention her and, and leave her name behind as well. Um, so those kind of why I want to do all of this writing. I want so to leaving leave- a legacy. Yes. I love yes. that. I love that because, you know, the, there's so many ways to think about legacy. And I, and I love that we can be expansive in how we're thinking about legacy and how we, as, as, as Black women, can be thinking about legacy. Yeah, because so many times when people talk about leaving a legacy behind, they're talking, they, they mean children with a man's last name behind, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and it's true. like, <laughs> and this, there's more to legacy than offspring, Absolutely. you know, and uh, just because you have a lot of kids doesn't mean that you're leaving anything behind with them. Like, what if they're all trifling? Mm. I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we know my parents like that. Poor things. You got to pray for them. All the children trifling. Every single one. <laughs> yeah. So Felicia, why do you write? What inspired you? Ooh. <laughs> she just hit me. I was like, I thought we was talking to Nicole. No. Uh, <laughs> um, it's interesting because I think I had a similar experience. The first thing that I ever wrote, uh, actually it would be 20 years next year, was for a community newspaper. It was a review of Mary J. Blige's No More Drama album. And I didn't know anything about music criticism, but I was like, I know Mary. And I got the print version of the community newspaper and I saw my name. And it kind of goes to this legacy piece, Nicole, even though I didn't know it then, I felt like I was being part of a conversation that was bigger than me. I felt like I was being uh, validated in ways that I hadn't previously. And I felt like it was something that was going to be left behind. Now, that may not be, you know, practical in terms, you know, the newspapers and a lot isn't around anymore, but I do have copies still. But just this idea of entering into something bigger than myself and that byline serving as that. And so even now when I see my name on screen, you know, and I'm very particular about what my name is attached to on screen because that is my family's name, 
You know what I mean? So it's partly of that. And then because it is a way to explore the world, to understand the world around you, to process the world, which is what I love about your book, Nicole, is that, you know, you're clearly processing a lot of things in the writing of it to open up that to us, to readers, uh, which I would love to talk about a little bit more that the vulnerability that it takes to, to do that. But yeah, it's been my way to communicate with myself and with my world. So yeah. So can you talk a little bit, Nicole, as, as Felicia just mentioned about the vulnerability, like the, most people weren't, we're talking about character, but your character is you. So talk about sort of having to tell that story. Uh, I think part of why I wanted to be so vulnerable, it's kind of connected to these representations of Black women that I have grown up with, that we've all grown up with, where we're just strong and people just keep putting stuff on top of us and putting stuff on top of us. And we're only praised because of how much we can carry, mm. uh, because of how much abuse we can tolerate. And it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, everything from those, some man stands up at the, at his wedding. It's just like, you know, you stood by me, even though I cheated on you for 15 years <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't propose, but you Through stood by me. multiple babies. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's my like, ride or die. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. When I didn't um, treat you right and I called you <laughs> out your name, you still came back. <laughs> like, wait, hold on. <laughs> right, right. To stuff just like at work and just having to keep pushing through all the microaggressions that then become sometimes macroaggressions and things like that. Just, you know, that's when we are praised and that's when we mm-hmm. are uh, rewarded. And it's just like, how much can a Black woman take um, cause we never see her break. And a lot of times, sometimes people, that's what they do. They're trying to see when, what's our breaking point. Uh, not, I mean, j- just to be harmful to us, but anyway, so because of things like that, I wanted to be vulnerable because I wanted to show that black women are soft. I am a soft person. I, mm-hmm. I want softness. I want care. I need that. And being soft is not a weakness. It's going to hurt a little bit, but it's still necessary because it's just like, pardon the cliche, but it's like, it's like a wound, you know, and it's going to be a little tender, a little bit, and you got to keep cleaning it out. And sometimes it reopens, but then it's going to cover up and it's going to be a little hard at first when it gets covered up, but then that hardness peels away and you'll be soft again. And you might have a mark on you, but you'll still be your soft, tender, uh, tender self. And you just got to keep putting that cocoa butter on it and keep it moving. (laughs) (laughs) I love that analogy. That's so good. I'm going to use that. That's so good. So what were some of your more inspirational characters growing up? When we think about representation of Black women, um, so the things that you saw growing up, what was the, what was the inspirational character that you said to yourself, wow, this, is, this, is, this could be me? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so there, there are a few. Um, Thelma from Good Times, because she, yes. was, uh, she was so pretty, but she was also so smart. And everyone kept telling her how smart she was. Like, of course, mm-hmm. they talked about how pretty she was mm-hmm. and how also, you know, she was a dancer. So she had, uh, you know, just a, a great figure and she was uh, physically active. But they just kept talking about how smart she was and how she was going to get far with her intelligence, you know, and that they and she was protected in this household, uh, you know, um, and she was able to be a daddy's girl. Yes. And, uh I wasn't really able to be to be that. My parents divorced when I was 12 and I could have been a daddy's girl, but my father was just not a great husband and father. And so um, I got to see this daddy's girl 
be loved and cared oh. on and and be praised for being intelligent and told that, yes, you're beautiful, but you have so much more. So Thelma from Good Times. I love that. I just want to jump in because, yeah. you know, when I think about, especially being a writer for TV, like it can be the little things that you add that make a big difference, right? Just like you're saying the idea that they kept telling her how smart she is. Like that's a, that's a, that seems like a small thing in terms of like the writing of the grand scheme of this character or how people interact with this character, but it can be a big, big deal. Um, And I feel like that's one of the things that I learned in one of my rooms was like being an image maker and being a storyteller. Mm. And that sometimes things that are good for the image aren't good for the story. Sometimes things that are good for the story aren't good for the image and wanting to balance those two, especially as a Black creator, right? There's a lot of responsibility of like showing Black people in certain kind of ways where we don't yeah. want to dip into and dive into a bunch of respectability politics, but recognizing how something little of people around a little Black girl or black, a growing Black woman telling her she's smart can be a big deal. I love mm-hmm. that. I actually, I, I echo that because. I remember watching The Cosby Show when I was younger, and one of the things that struck me, besides my in my deep love for Claire Huxtable, but like one of the things that struck me was that Vanessa, who was the dark-skinned middle child, had boys chasing her, always had good grades. Well, until she went down and tried to have big fun in Baltimore. In Baltimore. <laughs> in Baltimore. <laughs> I always remember that. I was like. <laughs> And I also was like, what was she doing in Baltimore? That is like, <laughs> she was having big fun. But like in doing. the 80s, you went to Baltimore? That's what she you went to go to a concert. I know. Of the, what was the concert? Was like... I can't remember what the name of the band was, but it's something crazy. But, but, but besides that, like she always had at least two boys chasing her from here to there. She had Robert staring at her with, with you know, puppy eyes. She was always book smart. She was always doing well. And like, that that's why the things when she actually messes up are so surprising as opposed to like, oh, she's always messing up. And I felt like that was a really inspirational thing to have. And it was small, but that's a big deal. Yeah. And the thing with Vanessa and Robert, uh, you know, he was kind of a little light brown, pretty boy with yeah. the curly, you know, kind of uh, wavy hair and everything <laughs> uh-huh. with this dark skinned black girl. And we did at that time, we did not get to see that a lot yeah. because the colorism was real intense uh, back in the day. Uh, yeah. I mean, it still is. But like, you know, there was very much a light skin for light skin situation popping <laughs> or the guy would be dark skin and the woman would have to be very light very skin, light skin. Mm-hmm. and exactly. stuff like that. So to see that pairing, I remember just being just like, oh, okay, I see y'all. I see what you're doing here. And she didn't seem confused by why they liked her. Right. <laughs> she was like, oh, yes. Okay, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek, the original <laughs> series, of course. Um, and even though she wasn't really super fleshed out, but just seeing this woman who was good at her job uh, and again, beautiful and again, very well respected by her crew, you know, and her co-workers. That stood out to me a lot. Um, also, she was talented because she was singing sometimes. and 
she was also the role that she had struck me because she was a communications officer. And by that point that I was watching and paying attention, I was very much into writing and trying to figure out what I wanted to communicate with my words. You know, you cannot get your information out to your crew. You cannot make sure that the Cleons don't fuck your shit up or whatever. (laughs) You're just going to be staring at them out the front window if you can't (laughs) actually communicate. (laughs) Right. So So Lieutenant Uhura was essential. She yeah. was essential and I, I loved her. And then, of course, there was um, Freddie from A Different World and Khadijah from Living Single. Freddie, shout out. Shout out to my homie, Cree Summers. Yes. Yeah, I <laughs> and Khadijah. And shout out to my queen. My queen, yes. queen like Tifa. <laughs> Tifa. My queen. Like, um, oh, but yeah, I, no. you know what? For Khadijah, for me, was huge because, you know, I was a journalist at the time and kind of so seeing this black woman run a magazine and, but it was also like, you would see her struggles in doing that, but also she was a yes. boss. Amazing. Like that was, that was a really huge thing for me to see her. Yeah. And at the time I didn't want to be a journalist when I was watching the show, but I knew that I wanted to do something with pop culture, uh, black woman centered. And I love the idea of her running this magazine that was for the culture, for yes. us. Yeah. I loved Khadijah because she also just didn't fit into the regular, like as a tomboy growing up, I just felt like here's a woman who does not have the regular sort of look of being super feminine, but has cute boys chasing her too. And, you know, she's able to love hip hop and love basketball and be those things and still be attractive and fabulous and an mm-hmm. owner. And yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. But as one thing that I loved about your book too, you kind of talked about like the sassy black teenagers, uh, your D Thomas from What's Happening, Tootie on Facts of Life. <laughs> like, did, how did those characters sort of influence, or how did you react to them at that at that point? Uh, so, I love them. But they weren't me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I I wasn't sassy in the way that they were sassy. Now, you know, I definitely questioned authority um, and I definitely pushed back on a lot of things. But I wasn't... Because um, D was no joke. No, no. She was clowning, niggas. D would wear you out. <laughs> she has she such was. a smart mouth. <laughs> But I love the way that she would break down her brother and his friends, you know, when they would try to be, uh, I guess what we would now call, you know, subscribing to certain forms of masculinity and Mm -hmm. like, you know, be tough and have some, a little swagger with them. And she was, she knew that they were nerds. They weren't getting no play. They weren't doing any (laughs) of this stuff. And so she would call them out on that. So I love that. But uh, in the book, when I talk about those characters, I'm talking about how, you know, every time they had a little crush or, you know, they liked somebody, they were warned away from those mm-hmm. crushes. They weren't allowed mm-hmm. to, like, be in love in the way that white girls on TV were allowed and encouraged mm-hmm. and able to be in love or have to express their crushes. And, you know, I um, I wish we could have been able to see them more in love or more be able to explore crushes without them falling for a guy who ends up being bad for them or, mm-hmm. you know, he ends up being like the very special episode message, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Beware, kids. Yeah. yeah. So how has television and those images evolved? So back from when we were growing up in, I, I was going to say the 70s and 80s, but I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but back when we were growing up, what 
<laughs> How right. has it evolved for you? No, no, it's right. It's right. I, I got to tell the truth. <laughs> like that's 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 the that's the time. <laughs> so, what are the black woman characters that we're not that we're seeing today that we would never see before? I think we're seeing more bad mothers and mm. bad mothers, not just like physically abusive, but when I say bad, I mean, they just don't want to be mamas or, you know, they are focused more on themselves. And I think the first time I saw that was Boys in the Hood with Angela Bassett's character mm. mm-hmm. where, you know, I think that may have been the first time that I have seen the father with custody of the kid. Um, and I think that was a a shift in portrayals of Black mothers a little bit. And I think also we're seeing more mothers who look good for their age. <laughs> so You know, reality like, and all. Yeah. I feel like when I was growing up, Black mothers looked matronly, you know, mm-hmm. and they had, they had this particular look where... Um, to be honest, they look like an ancient mama bottle sometimes, you know, yeah. or they just whatever. But growing up, there were um, a lot of the shows where, you know, the mother looked like my grandmother, you yeah. know, or yeah. something like that. And, and you know, but Black women look good, like, all the time. <laughs> and not to say these women did not look good, but they were just, they were what white people thought Black mothers looked like. Mm. Yes. what Which is very much in a mammy sort of dream, a Manny Manny fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to the bad mother for a minute because I think Mm -hmm. that's so fascinating and interesting because, you know, I have friends who do have bad mothers, bad Black mothers. And like, it is a very touchy subject. Mm -hmm. It is a very, um, you know, because Black mothers tend to be a cornerstone of our culture. I'm just fascinated by that uh, being on screen and being able to explore that and Nuanced ways, of course, but like being able to have those conversations about that not all Black mothers are, you know, what they need to be or what we would want them to be. I'd be curious from both of you, like who are some Black women characters that you feel like, you know, you may, of course, you don't identify with them fully, but there are parts of them that you're like, I I see that or I feel that or what, what characters are you feeling? I will tell you, uh, well, this is an older one because it was my first experience with like being being the a villainous, but like I loved Dominique Devereaux's character on yeah. Dynasty. When yeah. they introduced a wealthy and ruthless Miss Diane black Carroll. Miss Diane who, Carroll. Who just looked amazing in every shot. She I see that for angles. you, Ivy. I see that for you, Ivy. I see that I mean, for you. The fact that she was always like, she always kind of just like, she would have an all white ensemble with a big fur hat to the side and she would tell people off. And yeah. it was like, you know, she, the, the scene, that scene the first time that she smacks the Alexis character in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but could, you, um, could you imagine a black woman smacking a white woman in the exactly. face on television? And, and, and at the, the, what, what I thought was interesting was they had two of those kinds of scenes in the, in the show. The first one was Diane just hauls off and smacks the taste out her mouth. <laughs> and she, you know, she does that thing uh, Alexis does where she holds her cheek and looks like affronted and then says something crazy. And I was like, cause you expect that, you know, you've seen so many films where a white woman would automatically come back and be like, so affronted, like, how dare you? 
But she just smacked the taste out of her mouth and it was just, and that was just what was done. That was and the nobody scene. had seen. Nobody over. said that. <laughs> scene. <laughs> but the second time, it was a full out fight <laughs> where they were rolling around, <laughs> knocking down furniture and stuff. But like, it just, there were moments in that characterization that just were things I felt like were freeing to me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? The Mm -hmm. fact that you could be ruthless, the fact that you could walk up in somebody's house and be like, you know what? I'm leaving. (laughs) Who are you liking now, Nicole? What Black female characters do you feel like? I I see that. I feel that. Uh, So the original Awkward Black Girl. uh, Yeah. Oh, so funny. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, Even though uh, Issa Rae is like, you know, a generation behind me, I think she's a millennial and I'm Gen X. But that was still very much me. She's a honey in training. She's a honey yes, in training. Yes. She'll be here. <laughs> when uh, Awkward Black Girl was popping uh, uh, on YouTube, um, my sister was watching. She's the one who put me on. She was like, Nikki, this is you. And <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how do I take that exactly? <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> so uh, the original Awkward Black Girl was very, very much me. And sometimes uh, Issa this new iteration of her on uh, Insecure is a little bit like me because I, I've done that whole um, after school nonprofit tutoring thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I did mm-hmm. all of that and I seen the frustration of like wanting to help these kids, these marginalized kids, and then having to deal with white people. And again, white people's ideas of helping black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I see myself in, in those two characters that are, you know, like the, I guess the beta of each other. When I was reading some of the articles and listening to some of the other podcasts you did about your book, one of the things that somebody said is sort of sort of a criticism of you, which I thought was interesting was, you know, why didn't you explore your trauma more deeply? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that really bothered me. And, you know, when I was, um, writing the proposal for the book and talking it out with my agent, I told her I did not want this to be trauma porn. I did not want to expose all of my pain. I can show you a little bit, you know, but I can't give you everything. And I'm definitely not going to give you all of the trauma of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so this person read my book and was just like, she didn't talk enough about her trauma. She talked too much about sex, but she didn't talk enough about her trauma. And I found that it was interesting that me talking about pleasure was too much, but you want all my pain, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the thing that I, what I think is happening when we see all this trauma porn and when people want to read that from Black women, um, what I hear is white people wanting confirmation that being black sucks. Oh, mm. absolutely. And to distance themselves, like it makes you feel better because you're like, well, at least I didn't have to go through that. Yes. That's not my story. Yes. You know, I, I just also, had a mother who ignored me, but I'm good. Like this. <laughs> I, I also think that it helps them to continue to um dehumanize us and to uh, you know, make our journey very singular. Um, because they can't wrap their heads around how are we still around and can smile. Like they cannot yes. fucking wrap their heads around the fact that we can still live, love, have pleasure, have sex, still be dealing with trauma, still be trying to release that trauma um, all at the same fucking time. And I think that it's very hard for them. And it also, I think, um, excludes whiteness. 
in ways mm. that make them feel uncomfortable uh, when we are looking to have balanced narratives. Because I think that there is a place for trauma in Black storytelling because we experience trauma. Black people experience trauma. But I think that it needs to be counterbalanced with joy, with pleasure, with our looking to release the pain, to to work through the pain, to... So, yes. but you But you specifically, specifically made a choice. You were like, I'm not... I'm not giving it all. I'm not giving it all up. Right. Because I did not want to, I did not want to give into this idea that being Black is all hardship. Um, That, you know. mm. And thank you for that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's just, you know, obviously there are going to be some hard days and there's going to be a lot of hard stuff that we have to overcome because this shit is systemic, you know, the shit is just beyond us. And so there are things that are beyond our control that are going to affect our lives in negative ways. Um, And I did not want to write that book. I feel like there are a lot of other books and a lot of other materials out there that could cover that kind of stuff much better um, with better language and a better understanding. Y'all mentioned a little earlier just how we have to be everything. We have to be all Black yeah. people all yeah. at once. And I can't do that. I refuse. I rebuke it. I don't want it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can, can only have be it. myself. Right. Yes. I can only be myself. And so this is my story of Blackness. This is my story of girlhood, my story of womanhood, my story of Black girl womanhood, all of that. That's, it's yeah. mine. And I can't give you everybody's experience. I can't give you a description of getting my hair flat ironed in the kitchen because I never did, (laughs) you know, that was, that was not my experience. I never got my hair pressed. (laughs) Oh, I have horror stories. Let me tell you. Crazy pictures and ear burns. Bald in the back, (laughs) all the way in the back, bald. (laughs) Ear burns to show for it. Yes, Lord. Mm -mm. So that's, you know, that's not my thing. I think that's, then that's what I want more for us, right? That we are able to have, see individual experiences on screen that, you know, people are able to connect with on different levels, but that we know that this is a, this is one experience. I know that, you know, like a Issa Rae will talk about even with Insecure, like this is one experience. We want Insecure to be everything because it is the only show of its kind and it can't be everything to everybody. Um, And so I love that you were intentional about what you were doing with your with your memoir. Felicia, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what happens and what's different in storytelling when Black women are behind the camera. And you in particular have, you know, taken the role of both writer, uh, director, you've kind of conceived these great projects. And I think Tender, uh, one of your film projects, is actually a really important portrayal of Black women's pleasure. So can you talk a little bit about what happens when Black women are behind that camera? Yeah, it's interesting because Tender was, you know, I've been an artist off and off and on for about 20 years at this point, right? And Tender is the first project that I was able to be part of the vision from start to finish. And when I say that, because, you know, as a writer, you at least when I was writing, I didn't have say in my book cover. I didn't have say in these sorts of things. So everything to how it was packaged and how it felt and how it was released into the world, I was part of that vision. And it was life-changing in that way um, to be able to pour my lens on that. So to have a Black woman lens on every single facet of the of that project was huge. So for Tender, it was really an opportunity to create for Black women, right? To be thinking of uh, and being 
the thing of care, right, of mm-hmm. around Black women, that I care about Black women. I care how they're going to be shown on screen. I care how they're going to be represented. I care how they sound, how they're lit, how the camera moves around them, how the camera is on them, how the camera's in their face. I want to be up in their face. I want you, I want Black women's faces all in the frame. Like those kind of decisions um, are made, I think, when you have Black women behind the camera and not just behind the camera, but you have Black women on production design, you have Black women on costume design, you have Black women producers, you have us. So the wigs ain't, mm. ain't crazy and tilted to the left? You, mm. you don't want to even... <laughs> Like, I, 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 took my, I took my actresses out, Trishana Clark and Pharrell Walker. The first thing I talked about was like, let's talk about how you want your hair to be. I want to make sure you are comfortable with how you want your hair to be. Like, you know, those sorts of conversations to have. All of it's important. But so Tender actually deals specifically, though, with Black women and sexuality, which I think is sort of a topic that we don't hear talked about in terms of pleasure. We see a lot of, again, trauma when it comes to sexuality, but we don't necessarily see pleasure. So I'd like to hear more about like why that yeah. was important to you. It's the other thing though, there is trauma in Tender, right? She had a procedure that, you know, she was grieving over. Um, yeah. Don't want to have a spoiler. So there is, there's still <laughs> like, to me, that's how, that's how life is, right? Again, we don't necessarily have to divorce the trauma from um, the pleasure, but then you're able to find space with black another black woman to process, to, to support, to, to lean on, to kiss on all these wonderful things. Um, and it be, again, from a lens of not having to appeal to any white gaze. So uh, I definitely wanted to look into desire. You know, desire is a cornerstone word of honey child. And that thinking about that very expansively of what do Black women want and what is stopping us from getting that. And tender is a lot about that desire um, with with the idea of, of pleasure um, and then how pleasure can lead to intimacy. So, Nicole, when you're seeing uh, Black women and sexuality on screen, what are you seeing? Where do you think you're getting it right? Oh, uh, so I don't know who is, well, I don't want to say no one's getting it right because obviously sexuality comes in many different shapes and forms and everything. But I think we need to find a balance between, I think some people are still trying to combat stereotypes about the hypersexualization of Black women. and by overcorrecting and then yes. giving us these really um sexless yeah fun best friend roles yeah <laughs> um so there's that i would love to see some a woman over 40 who is child free <laughs> <laughs> who is single and she is by choice out, yeah single by choice and she is out there enjoying Shocking. herself without necessarily being like the one who is encouraging everybody to be a hoe too. You know what I'm saying? Like she understands that she, she's getting her rocks off how she can, but she doesn't necessarily feel like everybody else has to. And she is just not like, oh girl, I just went home with this stranger. You should too. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would also just still love to see, I want to see something very steamy because I love a good steamy passionate scene but that's still with care um that's not necessarily I mean like yeah we can do a scene where you like fuck me against the wall but also the scene where like I had a hard day at work can you rub my shoulder and um 
you know, that kind of thing where it's just like a really slow, intimate bit of connection (laughs) to show partners caring for each other in physical ways. You know, I have to say, if I think of a a movie that actually struck me and really changed me and my thought process about sort of what relationships could look like, I have to tell you, this is so, it seems so cheesy, but Jason's lyric. Remember Jason's lyric? Yes. yes. That sex scene was wild, though. That so, joint was, no, but I like, still think this, about there's it. There's a lot of things, <laughs> but like, was the, the, reason why, <laughs> the reason why it made me, it stopped me sort of in my tracks was this idea that these people who were in, you know, crazy circumstance, her brother was a gangbanger and she was working at this place and he was working at the TV shop. But like the tenderness with which he even approached her the way that when he took her out, I remember she said to when she says, he washed my feet. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, this is they ain't doing different. that out like, here. They ain't doing exactly. it. They're not washing the feet. There was, there was something so, they ain't washing their own feet, forget ours. <laughs> but, the, but like, there was something so incredibly tender and hyper romantic in a way that I feel like most young Black people are never portrayed. And the idea that that she could have found that and they created their own little world going by the bayou, having sex out in the, <laughs> with the crocodiles. <laughs> like, but like it, it just struck me and it, it, I didn't know that I wanted tenderness because that's not something mm. that I felt like I'd seen a lot of, but that really struck me even as a young person. Like, yeah, you know? like to, to connect uh, another Jada scene, um, set it off with uh, her and Blair Underwood when he, you know, drags that yes. necklace down the crack of her butt uh. but and they're like they're, they're in front of the fireplace and there's candles lit and all this kind of stuff and so that I thought that was really beautiful and I remember my mom I had a conversation with my mom when I was a teenager I don't know why I was talking to her about this but I was um some kind of way we got onto like sex scenes and, and love scenes in movies and my mom she's never been very comfortable about talking about these things to <laughs> intimate detail with me but she said superfly was the best love scene that she oh, had ever seen and wow. i remember when i got to a point where i was able to see that i completely understood where she was coming from because you have superfly and his um girlfriend in a bathtub and they're like talking about work because he was a drug dealer. <laughs> and it's, you know, they're talking about like this really, uh, <laughs> at the office. we got yes. it. We got it. <laughs> it's completely unsexy, but then they, they, they turn to each other, you know, to, to get it on. And that's when the give me your love comes in and it's like yeah. swells and you see the bubbles in the bath moving across their bodies in a particular way. And I was like, oh, this is really sensual. This is a really beautiful and kind of tender moment with the drug dealer. But all right, we got it. <laughs> you know? like, I, I mean, drug I dealers be, can be tender too. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, how I feel about, that's how I feel about, um, you know, the sex scene and, and um, Love Jones. And when I say that I would play that sex scene on my VHS, I would pop, like a little horn dog. Like I watched it over and <laughs> over and over again in my dorm room because I was like, this is because, you know, like especially when we don't have any construct for how love can look, making love can look, sex can look. You just have like your 
what high school sex, early college sex. And when I saw the intimacy and the sensuality and it was slowed down and it had a soundtrack, I was like, ooh, you know, and then wanting <laughs> to kind of replicate that and really love and Angel Christy Williams, the director, did such a beautiful job of like bringing the love, the love scenes that I was so inspired by and we were so inspired by to try to like sensuality and, and feel the love and feel the 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 heat and the passion as well, but like that that tenderness is huge. Girl, it's huge. I ain't gonna lie. I watched the scenes in Really Love several times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Speak saying that truth. I would have. Speak your truth. Speak I'm not your saying, truth. I'm not saying I would have burned a hole if it had been VHS. Like it's just, but I'm just saying. I have seen them <laughs> repeatedly. <laughs> I have to say that one one of the most surprising scenes, I, and this is like early, early on in my, my, you know, when you grow up and you sort of things stick in your head. <laughs> I was 14, so this was a long time ago. Do you remember the scene in School Days? Yes. When Tisha Campbell is licking yes. the, the part, the head of uh, Giancarlo Exposito's character. <laughs> yes. And it's this music in the background. It's like... Yes. And I just remember being like, this, this, it's not something I ever would have thought was a sexual gesture. It's not something I ever would... But I was like... That, so, that song was called Perfect Match. I can't remember the name of the group, but the song is called Perfect Match. I and love I, that you know. Yes, I know. Yes, because it also <laughs> is burned into my brain. I got to tell you one scene, this is not... It wasn't sensual, but I was like, whoa, was in the pilot of um, How to Get Away with Murder. When Annalise Keaton is getting the, uh, her detective boyfriend is going down on her, on her yes. desk. I remember yes. being like, what? Like that yes, was ma'am. huge. <laughs> I, and he I, was oiled up. He was he so was slick. Oil, he, was, he was like big. I, I was like, is Annalise, first of all, she's married. Is she getting eaten out on her desk? At, like it was a big deal. <laughs> I had not seen that on broadcast, you know, that 10 o'clock slot, but I still had not seen something like that on broadcast. And seeing a woman like Annalise Keaton, just like full on pleasure, like I was, yes. I wish we could see more of that on screen now for Black women um, being taken care of, whether it is soft and tender or hardcore, just like someone being... I don't know, protective of them Absolutely. as well. And I want to see more Black women with women on screen. So that's something that I'm hoping that we'll be able to see more of is just like the love and the care, but also like, you know, the fire that comes when two yeah. women are together. Where's the Black version of Bound? I mean, not not that we need a remake of that, but just like where yeah. is, yeah. you know, <laughs> this, this moment with two Black women together? I just feel like I want to see more general Black women being desirable, but not like just general desirability being sought after, being the person who's being chased as opposed to the person who's chasing. I would also just like to see, um, I think more powerful women who are uh, 
like innovators and in people who actually like build their own thing. I think we we don't see a lot of stories of black women who are building their thing from the ground up and really like you see them like, oh, this is a powerful person who's just been powerful this entire time, Dominique uh, Devereaux. You see people who are, you know, powerful because they've been put there by white people, like I'm a corporate this, but like someone who's actually building the Steve Jobs story, but for women, <laughs> for black mm, women. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see somebody actually win after, you know, trying really hard, drawing something, being innovative, using her mind, using her brain. Yeah. Or um, a scientist, more a scientist, more STEM, more women in STEM who are also doing some incredible things. Well, listen, we are looking to you too. Okay, so Nicole Perkins, <laughs> we are looking talking, for like you to... talking about responsibility. It's all I on mean, y'all. That's the, <laughs> that is the responsibility. We are looking to you. We are looking for Honey Child to actually bring out some of these great characters and also focus them on women who are also of a certain age. I feel like a lot yeah. of the stuff, even we're describing when we're talking about these characters, are very much targeted for young people, our young mm. adults, and you know we need those inspirational characters just as much. And so, Nicole, Absolutely. I'd love to you know see what you do next as well. What are you working on next? What's go- what's what's coming up? Oh my goodness. Uh, so I am working on fiction. Hopefully I'm going to knock yes. on one here. Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but it definitely, um, I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say it's a romance, but there's a love story that is a part of it. Uh, but I do want to write a, a romance novel at some point. And then when it comes to screenwriting, uh, I have some ideas about uh some TV shows to seeing some yes. mature, over 35 women uh, yes. doing some things. So we'll see what happens. Who knows? We love to see it. We love to see it. And we hope <laughs> to be helpful in that journey. Thank you. I, I would love to be a part of that with y'all. So um, thank you so much, Nicole, for being on this show. I have yes. I've been so inspired by listening to your storytelling about your own vulnerability, but also having boundaries around that vulnerability and your storytelling. Yes. And I think that we have had such fun reminiscing on great TV <laughs> characters with you. So much thank fun. Thank you for having me. Yes. And your book is wonderful. I, I just very also inspired by like you went there, even though you like you said, have kept parts for yourself, which is wonderful. It still felt, you know, like you were you were digging deep um and and going to places that is can be very hard to go to, but also showing a black woman who enjoys sex and enjoys pleasure. And I I really love that. So please pick up her book. Sometimes I trip on how happy we could be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like Take it over, Abby. (laughs) So if, as we wrap up, uh, Nicole, we always do uh, a set of questions, rapid fire. We like to call them honey cues. And um, let's start. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You look a little scared. Are you you ready? (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Okay. In one sentence, who are you? I am a passionate Southern Black woman writer. Ooh, yes. Who are you becoming? A goddess. Oh. See now. Praise. That's, that's... Praise her. <laughs> Speak on it. Preach. Okay. <laughs> What's your secret desire? Oh my God. I've never said this. I would like to be nominated for an Academy Award for writing. Oh, wow. That's amazing. 
I love speak that. it into the universe. Yes. Let the universe bring it back to you. It yes. fourfold. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we can say she said it here first, y'all. Exactly. We have this is all this is all. Oh, we're gonna claim so. everything. We're gonna claim everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure? Okay. I don't believe in guilty pleasures because you should enjoy whatever you like without shame. Um, yes. But I, what I really love are cozy murder mysteries that are just some I love a cozy white... murder mystery. Yes. <laughs> wait, wait, cozy wait, murder mystery? Murder mystery? I love that as a genre. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is like a subgenre of literature where like some either some old white lady or old white man or like a married couple and they are solving murder mysteries. And Girl, they- it's murder she wrote. Columbo? Yes. Columbo? Yes. Murder, like, murder she wrote. Yes, murder she wrote. Um, there's this British series called Midsummer Murders where they're just- I watched that. They actually made it a twist. I love that series. Yes. All of them. And it's always like, you're like, this town has too many murders per capita. Yes. Well, I tell, let me tell you, I would love to see that with a black Southern couple. Could you imagine? She's like baking pies. He's doing something. And they're like, somebody was murdered. Well, we better go figure it out. Paulina. <laughs> Paulina. <laughs> what do you love about being a honey, Nicole? Uh, I love how protective I am of myself. And, oh. and modeling how to treat me. Yes, that's amazing. I love that. That's that, amazing. That, and that's a that's that's a place to get to. That's a hard work to get there. It took a it took a long time to get here, and I am just yeah. like, I gotta I gotta take care of me. Yeah. Now, name a honey that you think deserves her flowers now. I'm gonna say Regina Hall because oh, I love I Regina feel- Hall. I feel like she does not get the props that she deserves. Like she can do anything. She, obviously, she can do comedy, um, but she's also really good uh, at drama. Yes, and I I would love to see her be able to do more dramatic stuff and more um, thrillers. Gina. I would love to see her in a, in a noir. Nicole Perkins, <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> this was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. I had such a great time. This was incredible. (laughs) Where can people, first of all, where can people find the book and where can people follow you on social and stay in touch with your journey? Uh, um, You can get Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be Anywhere. Books are sold. Uh, And you can find me on social media at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That is T-N Whiskey with an E woman and I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Well, that was amazing. That was so so much much fun. It was so much fun. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Child Please with our guest, Nicole Perkins. We hope that you'll join us next time. Child Please. (laughs) Child Please. Child Please is brought to you by Honey Child. Episodes drop every other Tuesday. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, iHeart, Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, write a review, tell a friend. And to keep the conversation going, sign up for A Taste of Honey, our newsletter. You can find that at www.honey-child.com. That's honey-child.com. And follow us on Instagram at It's Honey Child. Hey, honeys. 
Honey Chow is an independent boutique media and entertainment company run by Black women. We speak with love to an underserved audience, Black women 40 and over, or honeys as we call them. And we're not just bringing our own seats. We're building our own damn table too. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. Become a Honey Insider. Support what you want to see in the world and receive exclusive access to what we're building. To learn more, head to our website at honey-child.com, honey-child.com.